Hey, Founder Fam, before we dive into another incredible conversation, I want to share something really special with you. Whether you're just joining us or you've been following us since the beginning, you've been a critical part of our community working to change entrepreneurial education. I started Founder almost a decade ago with the mission to provide entrepreneurs access to the world's greatest business leaders. Our goal was to break down barriers to entrepreneurial education, and that's taken us on a journey from Founder Magazine to this podcast and beyond. And today marks the next step in that journey, Founder Plus. I'm proud to introduce you to Founder Plus, which is an all-access pass to each of our online courses and programs and their proven frameworks for success. It puts every strategy we've compiled from world-class instructors at your fingertips while connecting you to a global network of like-minded entrepreneurs. Founder Plus will take your business to the next level for today and tomorrow. So whether you've just joined our family or you've watched us grow from humble beginnings, we're really thrilled to have you join us in this exciting new phase of making the founder brand and this company the world's best entrepreneurial community to launch and grow your business. So finally, before we get into today's episode, I'm inviting you to come back, check out Founder Plus and go to founder.com forward slash membership. I'm really excited, guys. This is an incredible new evolution of entrepreneurial education, and our mission is really to get as many of these founders that we interview to teach and also give back on the Founder Plus platform and really go more in depth with the knowledge and the experiences and the lessons learned that they're sharing all in Founder Plus. So guys, please go check it out if you're enjoying these interviews. That's it from me. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now let's jump in. who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. Now. The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary Vee, Sophia Amoroso, Robert Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Hey, Founder fam. Welcome back to another episode of the Founder Podcast. Today, we're sitting down with Evan Goldberg. He's the founder of the very first cloud software company, NetSuite. After his first failed attempt at a tech startup, he invested $2,000 into building a cloud accounting software that eventually transformed into the world's leading cloud-based business management software. Today, we're going to be talking with Evan about building trust in an innovative product, growing NetSuite into a publicly traded company, and what he would do if he started a new business today. This guy's an absolute G. Please welcome to the Founder Podcast, Evan Goldberg. First question I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job, aka how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? Um, well, my first job out of college um, was at Oracle. Um, they hired like half of the graduating class, it seemed, that was doing computer science or uh, I was actually doing applied math. But uh, that year they decided um, from our college to uh, hire a, a huge cohort. So I was one of the one of the many that made the trek across across the U.S. Uh, to Oracle. Yeah, I see. And then 
how'd you find yourself starting NetSuite? Well, the journey uh, to NetSuite, I mean, certainly began with what I learned um, being at Oracle it, it, back when Oracle was a relatively small company. I probably when I started, probably had about 900 people. Um, it was growing really fast. It was providing great technology, um, but I felt that uh, and others at Oracle, including Mark Benioff, who started Salesforce.com, who I work closely with, felt that the technology could be made more accessible to ordinary, everyday business users. And that's really what I've spent my career doing, trying to take powerful technology and make it more accessible. So after I left Oracle, I did my first uh, internet startup. Um, that one, unfortunately, did not succeed, but um, that's my, I guess, mandatory Silicon Valley failure. And uh, but out of that, and what I learned from that uh, grew NetSuite, and I actually sort of um, reunited with Larry Ellison, who was um, he was thinking a lot about how applications were going to be delivered in the future, i.e., the cloud, though it wasn't called that. And I was thinking about how to make business systems that small companies could use to sort of run the bulk of their operation, help them run the bulk of their operations. And so the merger of those those two ideas. It was really dreamed up in about a five-minute phone conversation. Um, became NetSuite, sort of the net, which you know, or the cloud plus the suite, sort of everything you need to grow, as we say, all in one place. Yeah, I see. So, how long were you working at Oracle before you started your first startup, which ultimately failed? Eight years. It was not. It, I started um, at Oracle in 1987, 1995. Um, for those of your listeners that were. Um, alive and 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 reading <laughs> at, that, at that stage um, that you know the internet that was really the explosion the year that was really the explosion of the internet and I wanted to be part of that and 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 I'd always dreamed of starting my own company and that seemed like a great time to do it. Yeah, and what can you tell us just briefly what that company was, how long you worked on it, what happened? Yeah. So that um, the vision there was to make it easier to make your site interactive. And that was some of the t technology that had worked on sort of towards the end of my Oracle career was interactivity of, you know, applications. And so here it was about interactivity of websites. Our main competitor ended up being Flash. Again, for those of your listeners that remember that, um, that, was, uh, that was a technology that really we, we ran up against the wall when that was bought by a predecessor of Adobe. And that's sort of, even though we had uh, we've you know had a, a great following of devoted users, website builders. Um, ultimately, uh, we weren't able to achieve market traction, basically because of competition. And it was three; it was about three years that I worked on that, and and then I was like, you know what, I want to sell software to businesses because <laughs> I see how hard it is to run a business, and that the tools that you have to run a startup company. I, I imagine that big companies had great tools that may now, you know, with uh, the uh, benefit of hindsight may not have been true even for big companies, but it was certainly not true for small companies. You had to sort of run everything, you know, yeah, like uh, with tied together with uh, shoestring and bubble gum and a lot of different applications and you had five different customer lists and, and the applications were of course running on people's computers. So if they were using them, you couldn't get access to them, all those things that we try to overcome both by making the application available on the internet and making it be one system, one application that you use for all of the operations, tracking all of the operations of your business, your finance, your sales, your e-commerce, um, your HR, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Look, 
for some people, it's still a nightmare because there are too many tools to use and, and merging now, them together. Call and, it the hairball. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you have a ton of different applications that one part of your company has bought because they thought it would solve the one problem that they had. And then you have to try to tie them all together. And um, that's, you know, for a small company is is a tall order. Yeah. So was it hard to leave your job at Eric Oracle? Uh, again, as I said, I mean, my dream had always been to have my own software company. Um, I learned a ton at Oracle. It grew tremendously while I was there. So I, it, it really wasn't that hard. Um, I, uh, it, it really seemed, seemed like the right time. I felt like I had the right experience and, and I had an idea that I thought was a good one. What was the exact vision in 1998 when you started NetSuite and, and how has it remained the same all these years and why, why? Well, as I, I said, it was really a five minute phone conversation. I mean, I, as an entrepreneur was really focused on where's my next deal coming from? What's my pipeline? How are my opportunities doing? Sort of the Salesforce automation portion of running your business. Um, Larry was very excited about accounting and, um, I wasn't as excited about accounting, but you know, we talked about it and, and he really emphasize that we wanted to do the back office first before we did the front office. So the vision came together very, very quickly. We were going to deliver an application, but run it on the internet. And I, you know, that was really Larry's um, focus at that time was thinking about how you could run applications. And, he, you know, this is several months before um, Salesforce.com, my, my friend Mark started Salesforce.com, which was focused on Salesforce automation. So really it was um, you know, very, very early or the kind of the beginning of the cloud business application era was right then on that, on that phone call when we said, you know, small companies don't want to have to deal with operating systems and managing computers and managing backups. And, um, they, we really should be able to do it for, for them. And Larry was quite convinced that that was the way applications were going to be delivered for the next thousand years. He said, I don't know what's happening after that, but that's how it's going to be. So, so far, you know, whatever, 20, 25 years in, he's, uh, He's only got 975 years to go to prove that uh, prove that correct, and I haven't seen a, a good uh, replacement for cloud applications yet. Yeah, and you you got married from a, from a, from my research. You got married and had a baby all of that same yeah. year. It was quite a year. <laughs> you know, um, I play a little golf occasionally when I have time. Um, my handicap um, shows uh, the, that that to be the case that I don't have that much time, but. Um, my golf ball, like custom golf ball that I have says 98 on it. Cause that was a very big year. We, uh, we not only got married, we moved, um, uh, to a new house, uh, in a new town. Um, we had a baby. Um, I started NetSuite. Uh, a lot, a lot, a lot of stuff happened. How'd you stay sane? Yeah, it was, it was crazy, but it's, you know, if you get, if you have the singularity of focus, I guess it's really two focuses and you push everything else out, you can do it. And, um, you know, my, my wife, Cindy was incredibly supportive. She was a believer and, and, uh, she would bring, um, our, our young daughter in, in the wagon to our little office, um, above the hair salon next to the liquor store and, and bring us, bring the four of us sandwiches. And, um, it was, and we were just coding away and then I'd go home and play with my daughter and, and go back the next morning and, and that was that uh, we did we did have work at home even back then actually I was very I you know you have to work pretty much when you're doing a startup around the clock so um you know we were always on but we you know we find obviously found time for you know family which is ultimately 
I believe, you know, the most important part of life. Mm, yeah. So you probably didn't get much sleep, right? No. No. Okay. Um, so talk to me, I guess, around like starting the business. Did you raise any money, friends and family? Like how, how did how did you get it? Uh, well, we had a good um, uh venture funder, which was Larry Ellison. So um, he uh, helped a lot. But about a year in, we did um, get a uh, VC firm out of New York, actually, um, and turned out to be the largest um, women-owned VC firm. Um, We had an incredible partner there that was a director of our company all the way until we were acquired by Oracle many years, many years later. And um, that was a a great relationship. And those, you know, obviously Larry's uh, great advice and uh, and ideas were incredibly important. There was an exciting time in the company when we came up with what really one of the original visions of the company was that there'd be a dashboard in your browser that would show you sort of everything you needed to know and everything you needed to do um, about your business all in one, you know, in one screen. And we came out with that feature called the executive dashboard. And we would always manage to get press on this stuff out of proportion to the number of customers we had, mostly because we'd throw Larry's name around. And so uh, probably it said Larry Ellison in the article. And so he got, I guess, an alert, read the article, and he said, oh, you have a dashboard now? Okay, now I want a login to NetSuite's instance of NetSuite so I can not only see how how you're spending my money, but um, also, I want to you know help you improve the dashboard. So he basically became a product manager for that part of our product for the next several months. And he'd call me up and say, "Evan, I think you should have this dropdown where you can change all of the comparison ranges of everything on the dashboard to last year or last quarter versus this quarter, et cetera." And I'd dutifully, or and my team would dutifully go and program it, and we'd push it out into production. It was a lot easier to get things out into production. Than it is now. I mean, it's probably that's probably a good thing. But um, I'd call Larry back and I'd say, "Oh, log in now, see if you like it." So that was uh, a very fun time of collaboration, and some of the stuff that we that he came up with then is still in the product today. That's cool. A um, few questions I'm curious around. So you said that you joined Oracle when there were around 900 people, right? Um, how did you build that relationship with Larry to even get him on the phone and help you conceive the idea, yeah, then be well, a big, big, yeah. He found- was very, very involved in the hiring and nurturing of his, of the engineers. And, um, you know, I had a personal interview with him and we, um, apparently hit it off. He, um, really, you know, one of the things that happened to me in my career at Oracle, and you have those sort of moments in career, in your career where you have some difficult decisions to make about what you're going to do next. You mentioned, you know, when I, I left Oracle, but early in my career at Oracle, I had been sort of slotted in the core database team that builds some of the core Oracle database technology. But that turned out really not to be as appealing to me. I liked working more on um, the experience, uh, what it's like to use the software uh, for everyday users. And that's really been ultimately what I've done the rest of my career. But in order to do that, I had to leave this very prestigious group and join this upstart group run by Mark Benioff called the Mac Group because it was building how Oracle was going to work on the Mac. And I was torn, um, as you might be when you're not sure you should give up something that seems um, prestigious and maybe you'll never be able to get back again. And Larry passed me in the hall and he said, oh, 
you know, if I were graduating college right now, I'd want to go work in the Mac group. So of course, you know, then you're like, ah, now I feel comfortable making this leap. So, um, you know, over the years, um, developed a, a great relationship and, uh, he actually did help me with my first company. He would call it my graphic stuff. And in fact, in that five minute phone conversation that I referred to where we dreamed up NetSuite, he said, how, how's your graphic stuff going? And I said, not great. <laughs> I want to build business software. <laughs> that's literally, I mean, that's literally pretty much what I, what I said. <laughs> yeah. And I have to ask like any critical business lessons you've learned that you could share with our community from working with Larry all these years? Um, well, a consistency, uh, of vision. We often would call him belligerently consistent in a loving way. Uh, and so just really always keeping what is unique about your offering in mind, always staying well ahead in that area. In areas where you have to match the competition, you can always sort of sprint to catch up when necessary, but it's really, really critical that you know your differentiation and that the you know the focus of your efforts is 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 improving those differentiated capabilities that really are going to drive your success and that consistency of vision and understanding um what your b is that's different than everybody else's a i mean larry is definitely an iconoclast and when everybody's doing a he definitely thinks hmm maybe we should do b and it is true that if you go with the conventional wisdom, you're going to have a crowd of competitors that are all doing the same thing. If you take a different road, uh, even though on the face of it, maybe it isn't the obvious choice, uh, you have the opportunity to um, to really be a leader if that turns out to be a better way. And talk to me about the acquisition and the merger. When, like, when did you know that was the right time and, and how did that come about? Well, I don't know that from my perspective, there was ever going to be a time that was the right time, but uh, it certainly seemed, you know, from a, because I loved having my company, it was great. I mean, it's turned out to be fantastic to be part of Oracle too. I think that what really happened is, and what was great about Larry's vision, we were able to build NetSuite as the first, you know, sort of cloud business company. Um without distractions and without trying to work with a legacy of on-premise software and do it in a very, very pure way. And Oracle, on the other hand, had to make a very, very big transition. And, and you know, despite Larry's confidence that this was how things were going to be done for the next thousand years, it, it had not yet been proved. As it was proved that cloud was the best model for business software and companies accepted it, and Oracle made this sort of tectonic shift um, to the cloud. And that, um, at that point, I guess you could say that the host wasn't going to reject the organ. <laughs> and so um, instead that, you know, we could really collaborate and make, you know, like you always want to do in a merger, one plus one equal three, um, by working together in our separate lanes um, with the other, you know, with the other cloud um, products at at Oracle to to really build something that is a complete solution for companies of all sizes, from small startups all the way to you know mega conglomerates. Yeah, I see. So when it comes to, I guess, um, 
this merger and you said you loved your company. Um, what's the transition been like as, you know, you're the EVP now? It, yeah. You know, it, I we kind of, <laughs> it's kind of like cousins marrying, but, but second cousins. Um, you know, I mean, the first, one of the first thing that happened is Larry came and talked to all of our engineers and they commented to me, boy, he really seems to understand our business very well. Like, yes, he was a co-founder. So I think it's a unique situation where, you know, you have a founder and it was a founder <laughs> and, um, is able to understand sort of the special sauce that makes, um, NetSuite great, but also the places where, um, the right places to help, you know, improve things by collaboration with Oracle. So, uh, Oracle had done a great job with many of its acquisitions, you know, generally with all of its acquisitions, uh, by figuring out how to keep them independent so that they can still do what they do best. Um, and that doesn't get broken while at the same time, over time, you know, implementing some of the best practices that come from, you know, Oracle's long experience. So I think giving us independence to continue to run the way we were running, also pushing us to do things that maybe as a public company, we weren't as aggressive about doing that were really the right long-term um, long-term choice. That, you know, as as part of a much bigger company, you have some more freedom to do uh, to do things, make these relatively sharp turns uh, that you might not do when you're constantly under the scrutiny of recorder. So that was definitely something that that allowed us. And you know, Oracle has announced how much um, NetSuite has grown, um, uh, and, and every quarter they pretty much announce how much we grow. And we have a great track record of of continuing the great the growth that we had as an independent company. And I think that's because there's been fantastic continuity. Most of the main players are still there. I'm committed. You know, I've seven years I've been here, and I'm really, really excited about the future. And so it still feels entrepreneurial. It still has that culture that we um, curated over our many years being an independent company. And also, we've massively benefited from uh, being part of the Oracle team. The curation of the culture. Culture is a very, very interesting one. And often for first-time first startup founders, an afterthought. Um, did you take some lessons from your first company in beds or, or talk to me around that? I mean, you know, I took some of the lessons just from being at Oracle in the heady days when it was, a, you know, real fast-growing, still really felt like a startup. As I said, Larry was still interviewing all the engineers so I had been in that environment, that exciting environment where the possibilities seem endless. And, um, and you know, inside Oracle, uh, there are great relationships and there were great relationships back then. And so I always felt that you, and this is something Larry said a long, long time ago was that, you know, we hire people that we want to go have lunch with, <laughs> you know, that's, and if it's someone that you can't, tolerate, I don't care how good they are, they shouldn't be a member of the team. So we've taken that very seriously, recognizing that we have to have an intensity and that what we do is very serious, but that it's the hard work needs to be balanced with fun. And, um, you know, we, at, we have a lot of great fun traditions that we've continued over many, many years. We have a mascot at our user conference called Sweet Stanley. And we have 
and we've done all kinds of great things over the years to to keep it light in the face of it. Ultimately, you know, we're responsible for the uh, you know, these business applications and the operations of of these of these businesses. We're very much relied on, upon by our thirty six thousand plus customers. Um, so it's that balance of that intensity and seriousness with sort of more of a low key um, fun approach to work that I think that's sweet. And I hope all companies are able to, uh, to balance. Mm, yeah. And you talked about your customers. You've had some very big customers uh, now, but we're with them from early days like GoPro. I'm curious, like what you've learned from customers like them? Well, you know, that's definitely one of the perks of the job is just to talk to lots of other entrepreneurs and hear about their journeys. And, um, you know, we definitely collaborate with our customers on on various things. We have, for example, some great cybersecurity customers and we cybersecurity is a very, very important topic for us. So we've learned, you know, we've collaborated just on best practices and things like that. So that's sort of the business um, collaboration. But also, you know, just with all the companies we see, we, we, we see, again, we talked about culture. We see and talk, I talk to uh, entrepreneurs and CEOs and founders about how they maintain their culture. And, and we share that information, you know, our, the person um, on my team that's responsible for uh, our communications, external communications with customers and our user conference is the same person that's responsible for our internal uh, uh, employee engagement programs and, and things and, and, and our, sort of our internal sort of culture maintenance organization for lack of a, it's, it's, it's much better than that. Um, but, and that's, a, you know, but that allows us to, you know, allows this, allows her to do is to see what other companies are doing and bringing it and bringing it into, into our company. Um, and, and therefore, you know, I mean, liberally sort of stealing in a non, uh, you know, in a non-copyrighted way. Um, and I hope they do the same back from us when they go to Sweet World and see how we run our user conference. I hope they go and take that and some of the great things they see there and use it in their user conference. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success. You should come and check out our new podcast from Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in the trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right, now let's jump in the show. When did you guys run your first one? Did Salesforce, was that the inspiration? Um, Oracle had had one for a long time. I mean, it's kind of a rite of passage that when you get enough users, you have to bring them together and hire some whatever band uh, or DJ your budget will allow at that stage of the at that stage of your company's growth. Um, and 
so we, you know, we uh, started by bringing first just our partners together, and then a couple years later brought users together, and it was it was fantastic. And I think a lot of companies see this um, for them to collaborate with each other, and and also for our employees to be able to see, well, what do people actually do with this stuff? And who are these people that we're developing for? I mean, we try to use not, we try to do that without, through, you know, having to do it only through a user conference, but um, that's a great benefit of it. And so we saw immediate, um, immediate benefit and it's grown every year. And I think it's on its 12th iteration or something like that. So it's been fantastic. Yeah, that's really cool. Thank you for sharing. Um, you talked about competitors before, and uh, your lessons or, or things that you you kind of impressed by from from Lowry's perspective around kind of when other people are going see A he he sees B um, you guys have some big competitors in the space I'm curious how, how much attention do you pay to them and what advice would you give to founders because it's so easy when you're starting a company to compare yourself to look yeah what they're no doing. it's it's a great question because there is a tension between looking too carefully at what others people are doing and thereby having it sort of limit your vision. Once you see a solution, it's like, oh yeah, that works. I guess we'll do that. It, it, it's it's hard to then, so so I, you kind of want to like squint your eyes and look a little bit, but not too carefully because you obviously don't want to miss some great direction that they're taking that or that, that may uh, disrupt you. And as you grow from a startup to a larger company, of course, the danger is you were the disruptor. Soon you may become the disruptee. And much of my effort right now at Oracle is centered around making sure that doesn't happen for another 25 years. Um, and so to do that, you have to be cognizant of what your competition is doing, but you don't want to look so carefully. Of course, um, you know you want to be creative and you want to have your own ideas and that's ultimately what's going to make you succeed so that's sort of the tension in terms of looking at what other people other moves that other people are making yeah and when it comes to entering a market if you were to start a business again tomorrow would you want to enter a market a big market with a lot of competitors or would you would you prefer to enter a market with not as many the only type of startup you could do now is an AI startup, and there are five bajillion of them. So, you know, you're kind of you're kind of hosed. Um, no, I uh, I think it's you got to obviously find your unique niche. It can be a big niche, but it's you really do want it want it to be uh, unique, and uh, at the same time. You want it to be applicable, and everybody else is looking at the looking at similar similar things. So, so that's a, that. It's there are successful businesses, obviously, that have done one extreme or the other extreme. Build something general purpose that everyone needs, and there's lots of competitors, but they did it. They knew that they could do it best because they had an approach that was unique, or they had experience and a team that was unique. You know, that's that's harder, but the rewards are very large. Or Here's a here's a need that is not going fulfilled. It doesn't look like anyone is going to fulfill it, and yet there's a need that I think I can um, build something for, and people will pay for it, and I can build a healthy business. And you certainly see very successful businesses that are built that way. So it runs the gamut. And I don't, I mean, obviously we you know we were very fortunate. There's no doubt in my mind that there's luck involved, 
um, that we chose something that's very general purpose, kind of all types of businesses. Um, and we did it in a way that was unique that nobody, that very few others were doing it at the time. And we developed this lead by, by doing it first and being first is, is great. Uh, but you know, there's the, the, that the world went the way it went and that people chose, you know, this, the, this way of doing things, um, at that time. I mean, it certainly could have taken another 10 years and we could have run out of money or it could have been so quick that other people, you know, jumped in early and we didn't have a chance to build the lead that we did. So some of that is, is, uh, I mean, you, in hindsight, you like to say, oh, I knew it all along. And, and Larry would definitely say, <laughs> I mean, he was like predicting it the whole time. He's like, this is going to, this is going to be billion dollars. And then when it's a billion dollars, he's like, it's going to be $10 billion. And I would kind of be like, okay, yeah, sounds reasonable. <laughs> I'll go with it. That's crazy. So you said something interesting. You said, if you get to start anything, uh, everyone seems to be starting something in the AI space now. What's your take on the industry where that, that technology is emerging tech is, is going and yeah, I'm keen to hear your take. Everybody has to be thinking about it. It's obvious that the progress of the technology is faster than people expected uh, maybe a year ago. And everybody's got to notice and think about how is that relevant to my industry? I mean, basically almost everything um, will be able to, that, that humans engage in will be able to benefit potentially by this new technology. Exactly how is, is still really unclear. So of course, we're thinking about it at NetSuite and every, I think, tech business is. And it's, I think, I, I, you know, it's the hype machine is on overdrive right now uh, in terms of what people say they're going to do and what they're going to release. And, and uh, you know, I, I'm more enamored with the idea of continuing to make incremental improvements um, that really work and that really work well. But, but at the same time, you got to look at some of these big bets that, that may be sort of a difference in kind, not a difference in degree in terms of what uh, applications and technology can do. So I think it's about, that's, it's really a balance, um, in how you approach, uh, AI. And, and that's sort of how we're thinking about it. There's some big, big, exciting possibilities just short of the robo apocalypse, um, in how, you know, these can, these, uh, agents can become great assistants and great advisors for you ultimately. But there's also ways that you could just make an application easier to use by understanding um, the users better through the use of AI and what we, how users are successful and how users are not successful, uh, what predicts that, what kinds of things people want. Like we talked about the dashboard, what, what would they want in their dashboard? Well, AI provides an incredible way to evaluate what other people have been doing on their dashboards and and what they like and what they don't like and then suggesting it's really you know ai is a great pattern recognizer people like you with your role with your pattern of usage etc find this information useful maybe you would find that information useful those are more bite-sized problems that i think we can solve very very successfully at the same time as looking at you know the sort of general intelligent business intelligence that's you're going to come in in the morning and they're going to say you need to hire 20 more salespeople in raleigh durham <laughs> yeah it's it's been an interesting one for me i i found it 
I've gone down rabbit holes and found tools and played around. I haven't really been able to adapt it to my day-to-day to really be a fully immersive amongst it to, to, to get a lot more time back. I know certain teams in our business are using it. But also I've actually found it difficult internally to drive this idea like, hey, maybe we can use AI to this. Hey, we'll look at this tool. What are the, this tool? How, how can we look at this? Have you noticed that as well, that the adoption internally from a team perspective is 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 more, not as... Well, it's definitely... It's, it's definitely not as cut and dry how to use it. And I think that causes um, some reticence, especially among programmers who are used to like, I can just go in a room with my computer and solve this problem by writing code. And here it's models and you need data and it's, it's a shifting, the, the shifting sands of, 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 of the technology and so it's it's uh, it's a it's a change and and but I know you know obviously uh, people will adapt and it'll become that's what we want is it become just a regular part of the tool set that when you're looking at solving a problem the AI techniques and AI technology are just obvious that's one of the things we 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 might we might use yeah because there is so many tools being like out and on LinkedIn you always see the the tools for this tools for this tools for this but it's just hard to keep up. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Well, I mean, it's it's at the time of where a thousand or a million flowers are blooming, um, but eventually, you know, there'll be the big trees, and, that, and those will be the ones you want to climb. I don't know if that analogy really works. I kind of maybe I maybe uh, overdid it there, but uh, no, there's obviously going to be a culling over time, just like there you know was in the previous kind of boom and boom and bust cycle. But um, in the meantime. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot of opportunity out there. The cool thing is, because you've been a founder for for quite some time now, in the multiple decades, you see these patterns, right? These this economic clock that is happening right now. What would you say to founders that are, you know, working on their business? They're you know recently launched, or maybe they're doing it tough. Like, what, what would you say? Yeah, I mean, it, it certainly economically, it's a time where we don't have a lot of certainty it's it, it, and uh don't nobody knows exactly what the next couple of years or few years is going to bring um and that's a, you know that's a challenge um for things like just the prosaic needs of getting funding and hiring and and uh and the cost of you know various services that you need to use going up rapidly in a lot of cases it it's a lot of uncertainty and it's it's it, it it's it's challenging and um, so it just it still requires the same thing though is is making sure you don't get distracted, keeping the focus on your vision, and uh, just uh, plowing through this. And it's this this too shall pass. <laughs> and you know it might mean that you have to uh, you you can't be as aggressive about hiring as you would when there's more certainty and or you know there's various. Uh, things you may need to do that that are different, but the main focus of your energies should be the same as it would under any economic circumstances, which is developing your technology, testing it with users, improving it, or whatever it is, technology, your product, your or your service, testing it with users, improving it, uh, you know, promoting it, get, getting out there, and 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 scaling it. 
um, in any which way that you can and staying, staying very, very focused on that vision. Yeah. Agree. And I guess, um, because you've been through multiple recessions now, um, have you, have you seen coming out the other end? Like if you can ride the storm and survive it, yeah, like it, it's the you know that saying never let a crisis go to waste i mean you make some great changes under necessity i mean there's a reason that the cliche necessity is the mother of invention exists and we saw for example in the financial crisis of of the early 2000s um that we weren't focused enough on our existing customers when the orders were coming in so easily when the economics, you know, was uh, cycle was in the in the boom phase, you didn't have to worry that much about your existing customers. So you might lose some. So they may not be flourishing with your product. Orders are coming in. I mean, that's an exaggeration. But when times get tough, first of all, obviously, you need just to make your numbers. You you need to be selling more to your existing customers. Most businesses give short shrift to just selling more to their existing customers. It's not as sexy as getting new customers and getting that get increased customer count. Um, but during those times where new customers are, are harder to find, that's when you can double down. And we really did double down on looking at how we could help our existing customers use the product more effectively, help them get through their trials and tribulations of the economic crisis and come out the other end. So, Because if they come out the other end, they're still going to be paying you. Um, and, uh, some of the, uh, disciplines that we really honed during that time continue to this very day. So as soon, you know, when the demand came back, um, after, you know, in the early 2010s, when the economy really started booming again, we maintained that focus on our existing customers and, and that has paid off, um, in droves over the subsequent years. Yeah, that's that's a great story. Thank you for sharing. Um, question around, like, if you were to start again tomorrow, I know I asked you this before. Would you would you go remote first? You know, that's a great question. We like all companies are grappling with that. Um, the sense of community that you have when you're in person. Certainly, that's how we built the company. Those stories about like the hair salon below us used to play really loud music, and we'd bang like a broom handle on the floor to get them to turn it down so we could concentrate on our programming. Um, you know, that camaraderie, that in-person, you know, that, that uh, and and just being able to just know there's a person there right across that you can ask a question to, you can have a discussion to. I, I still think that's really valuable at times during the sort of uh, the cycle of building your company and, and building your product and selling your product. At the same time, there's great opportunity that comes from the ability to hire anywhere in the world, um, the uh, the ability for people to work more effectively um, at home and 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 with their personal circumstances, that's great. So how can we continue to have that sense of community, that easy communication, looking at the same thing on the screen? I mean, the technology is there, but it's a little clunky compared to real life. Um, you know, real life has been honed over millions of years, and hybrid work is you know since twenty twenty. Um, so I think we're going to get better and better using technology and developing pr best practices to give us the best of both worlds. And so I would say, you know, if I was starting a company now, for sure, I would not limit myself to only hiring, you know, in one place and everybody has to be in one office. At the same time, I don't think that I'd want something that was so far flung that nobody could ever get together. 
Um, so I, you know, probably try to find find a happy medium. And we even had that back in 1998 um, because, as I said, we were working all hours, so people did plenty of work at home. And um, so, in some sense, it's it's the, the sort of the same as it's it's always been. But I think now we have the benefit with the collaboration tools getting better and better. And I think users should be pushing um, the providers of those tools to continue to improve them and make the remote work experience have um, as many, as much as possible the benefits of the in-person experience. So I'd love to uh, start toward wrapping things up. Uh, this has been great. Hot seat round, rapid fire questions and answers. First one is how do you embrace failure as a founder? Um, well, you're never really going to embrace it and it's hard, you know, when you have to let people go, it's, it's really hard and they have the same aspirations for success, uh, that you do. All you can do is learn and, and that, you know, greatly decreases the chance that it'll happen a second time. What's the most valuable part of an early stage startup? I think it's the aspirations and the inspiration that you have, the vision that you have, you just, you, you know, it's, uh, you haven't taken a lot of lumps yet. So it's very pure <laughs> and you, um, have this sort of childlike enthusiasm. Um, and that's, that's great. And I, you know, I try to capture that all the time, no matter what, I mean, as your company grows, there's a ton of complexity and you, you know, learn things that some of the things that you just can't do or that are going to be really hard. But if you can keep that enthusiasm and, and uh, for what the world can be like um, in the future with what you're doing, um, I think that's what keeps your company fresh and exciting. What daily habit makes you a better founder? Really making sure that you have your sort of finger on the pulse of, of your key, of what your key people are doing and how they're feeling and what's be, what, where they're being successful and where they're being frustrated. So I think checking in, um, regularly with key people on your team is critical. What's something you've learned today? <laughs> um, well, I've been doing most of the talking, so uh, <laughs> Just your day I'm general. sure there's a lot I can learn from you, much <laughs> like uh, we've learned so much from, uh, uh, from, other, from other founders. But, um, you know, I, in, in, in reminiscing and thinking about uh, the, the, the whole arc of, the history of our company and and you know about to be 25 years it's a really significant milestone for us uh and and thinking about you know the one company breeding another company you know oracle then breeding breeding netsuite them coming together um you know it, it there's sort of some poetry there that it's uh nice to think about last question if you could have dinner with any entrepreneur dead or alive who would it be and why and this is a good one because you're a very connected guy. Yeah, well, it, it'd probably be Thomas Edison because uh, it was just so amazing the the length of time he and the breadth of of things that he was able to invent. And I love his quote: um, "I haven't failed. I've just found ten thousand ways that don't work." So uh, that mentality, um, I'd love to hear some of the worst the sort of horror stories that led him that led him to say that and uh the last one just because of time and i'm gonna be a little selfish if it's okay uh biggest lesson from your hardest time building the company in the past 25 years what yeah, happened well 
I mean, it's a people story and it's, um, I, as I said, you, to preserve your culture, it's a precious thing and you got to bring the right people in that are a fit and someone can have incredible skills, um, and can talk a really good story and yet not be a fit. And if you try to, again, to use a cliche, fit that square peg into that round hole and keep trying and trying and trying, what can end up happening is you can really drive people away from your company, especially if they're in a leadership position. So you have to figure out pretty quickly if someone is bringing a negativity or something that's really against your culture into your organization, and you need to root that out very quickly because it it can be extremely damaging for someone in leadership that comes into the company and and has a you know kind of perverts the culture it's terrible for it's terrible especially in relatively early stages of the company so so avoid that if you possibly can or fix it very quickly if it arises well we're on time there evan thank you so much that was an incredible interview. I learned a ton personally, and uh, I know our community will get a lot from this. So thank you again. I, I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.